the elders, and a couple of them are in elders in training and learning uh, to uh, their gifts and, and their callings and stepping into their position here in our church. And as Pastor Lindsay mentioned earlier, in September, it's going to be a huge month, big month for us as we lay out vision uh, for the future, but also celebrate our past, but also look ahead to what, uh, to what God is calling us forward and calling us to do as a church. And uh, pretty exciting stuff that I'm looking forward to uh, sharing with you guys coming in September. Uh, let's look at this, Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. Or excuse me, second, yeah, Second Timothy chapter three, verse ten. That's where we're at. This is the Apostle Paul speaking and writing to Timothy, his spiritual son and protege in the ministry, one of his disciples. He says this. He says, "But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured." You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's not where anybody wants to say amen at, right? Certainly not, but that happens, and that's part of our calling. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. Verse 14, but you, Timothy, must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you, and you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. In verse 17, and God uses it, the word, to t prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Amen? Let's pray over this. God, we thank you for us today allowing us to be together. Thank you for this opportunity to gather as your church, part of our faith family coming together to look to you and to remind ourselves and to remind each other we're not alone and that you are for us and you're not against us and you have called us to be a part of a beautiful thing called the body of Christ. And now as we open this word, oh God, I pray you would shine your light on it and let our eyes see it for what it is, let our hearts receive it for what it is and let our lives live it for what it is and help me to preach it for what it is. In your name and in your glory and your honor, I pray in Jesus' name. And you can say amen. Amen. So Paul's writing here to Timothy, it's his second letter that he writes to him, and he's kind of in the middle of some, of some things, and I don't know what your Bible might say there at the heading of, of this particular part, but it says Paul's charge to Timothy here in mine might have something similar to that in your heading, but he reminds him, he says, hey, Timothy, listen, listen to what I'm telling you, what I teach directly impacts my life, how I live, and what I teach directly impacts my purpose, what God has for me. How many of you believe God has a purpose for your life? And if not, then stay in this little while with us, and it'll become clearer and clearer that you do have a purpose, that you do belong, that there is a place for you on this planet, there is a place for you in the church, and there is great 
uh, purpose that God has created you for and what he has for you to do on this planet. Chiefly to worship him, but also to carry out great things in his name and, and all of that. So anyway, but he's, he's saying, look, how I, what I teach impacts my life. How I live it, what I do with it, where I go, all those things. And he says, I, I want you to understand that, that you, you've seen me, you've watched me, but now I want you to understand, Timothy, it impacts your life. One of the hardest things, I think, to do is to make disciples. And that's what Jesus calls us to, and a part of our mission with him and teaming up with him and his kingdom is to make disciples. But that is not an easy task. Uh, but it's one of the thing, chief things that we're called to do, cornerstones of our faith, is to help make disciples of one another. But one of the hardest things about that is, 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 is if you're the discipler and you are discipling someone else that is trying to get them, for whatever you're trying to get to them, to actually stick and to take into their life, right? You know, I've got three girls. Uh, my oldest is 12. Those of you who have been down this path before know what I'm talking about, and maybe you can help me out later. Um, is trying to get them to understand just simple things. You have a bedroom. In that bedroom, you have a bed. In that, in that bedroom, you have sheets and covers. In that bedroom, you have clothes that are not always where they're supposed to be. And in that bedroom, you have toys. Here's what we just ask you to do. Put things where they go, right? Just put things where they go. That's hard. I mean, that's, the, that's it. That is like your main job in life right now is just to put your bed sheets where they go, put your pillow where it goes. You don't sleep in the closet, you sleep on your bed. Your pillow might be in the kitchen one morning, but hey, I don't know how it got there, but just put it back in your room, all right, before you leave today, before we go anywhere today, all right? Uh, put your clothes back in their drawer. If they're dirty, look, your mom and I bought you a clothes hamper. The dirty clothes go in the clothes I know, it's weird, it's mind-blowing that that's where those dirty clothes go. It's crazy. Toys, yeah, you have floor space, but you also have an area where your things belong. So, because here's the principle that we're trying to teach them is, look, if you can master your bedroom, if you can master the domain of that 10 by 10 space, right, you're going to master your life eventually. You're going to conquer a job. You're going to conquer school. You're going to get hired. You're going to show yourself credible. You're going to show yourself responsible. People are going to want to pay you to do work for them. That's how this thing works. And then you're going to end up meeting somebody, and you're going to master that relationship. They're going to respect you. They're going to love you, and they're going to look up to you. Why? Because all way back then, when you were 10, 12 years old, you mastered your bedroom. I know, it doesn't compute that way at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and maybe at 25, but that's, that's the reality of life, and those are some principles that, that carry out with that. But try, as the parent, trying to get that into the child, I wish I had a dollar for every time I said, clean your room. Without me having to initiate it, the room would already be clean, but if I had a dollar for every time I said that, I would do, be doing pretty well right now. Right? Any parents out there can say amen to that? So here's the thing. Paul is saying, look, you've watched me, and you've seen how I live. You've seen how it's the Word of God has transpired into my life and how God's Word has transformed me, how God's Word has impacted me, even when I go through difficult times. 
Because he goes on to talk about that there in that beginning, verse 11, 12, 13, right in there. He says, even when I have gone through challenging times, it's because of what I have been taught and it is what I teach that directly impacts my life and helps me to live the life and the purpose for which God has me for. Okay? And he says, now in verse 14, I want you... You have to get this, Timothy, because God's calling you to pastor. God's calling you to lead. God's calling you to do some things. But you got to have it down in your life. So he says, hold on to what you've been taught. Or he says here, remain faithful. Another translation says, hold on to what you have learned. I think that's probably one, that is one of the greatest joys and thrills as a parent is watching your child actually hold on to what they have learned. Hold on to what they have learned, seeing that, oh yeah, or I taught that, or someone else helped teach that and reinforce that. They get it, they got it, they're doing it. Praise God, you feel pretty good about yourself. Then they don't clean their room the next day and you go back to square one, right? Yeah. <laughs> Some of you like 13-year-olds are looking at me like, would you just shut up, man? Quit harping on their bedroom, dude. Quit harping on it. Okay, so Paul says, Timothy you got to also get this. you got to remain faithful in what you've been taught because what you have been taught, God's Word, is what will impact your life and what will help you live your purpose. Right? You following me? And so he says, hold on to what you have learned. Here's the thing. A lot can be said about God's Word. There's a lot of things that can be said about it. One thing that can't be said is that, it, is that it's false. It's true. It's, it's, there, there are no errors in it. it, it, it it's, it's perfect. God's word's prophetic. God's word is powerful. God's word is affirmative. God's word is convicting. You read it. God's word is challenging. Oh, I got to pray for those who don't like me. I got to bless those who curse me. I got to serve those who don't give a crap about me. I woke some of you up when I said the word crap. Sorry, shouldn't say that. God's word is guiding. God's word is wisdom. God's, right? Are you guys, you following me? God's word is a lot of things. There's over 31,000 verses in the Bible. Over 31,000 verses. It's kind of like a big pillow that if we can, we can lay our life on it and we can become content in it. And if we could just get ourselves to lay our life in the pillow of God's word, we'll learn to live a life of contentment. Because the things you and I wrestle with and struggle with is why? Is because we, we are trying to find contentment. We're trying to get to a place of solitude and, and, and consistency and stability and security. In other words, contentment through all things. Contentment in all things. Paul knew what that was like. He said, I've been, I've been poor and I have been, I've been homeless and I have been hungry, but I have been okay. And I have also abounded, and I have places to stay, and I had plenty of food, and in that, I have been okay. How can a man like that be okay with the valleys and the mountains and the ups and the downs of life? Because he learned to find contentment in truth. Truth brings contentment to our lives. And that's what I want to talk to you about today is finding contentment in the Word of God. I want to take a few minutes and break that down, finding contentment in the Word of God. Everybody in this world is looking for answers. We're all looking for guidance. We're all looking for some kind of 
some kind of way to go. Point me in the, that right direction. Tell me this is right. Connect me to the right person. Connect me to the right place. Put me in the right spot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone's looking for some hope. Everyone's looking for some salvation. They just may not always be looking to Jesus, but when, they, when you find him, you find true salvation. That's what Paul reminded Timothy of. That's what these scriptures have led you to, to find wisdom in the truth that Jesus Christ is the one who brings ultimate salvation to your life. And so we're, in it, we're all looking for something. We're trying to gain some traction and trying to gain some ground in life. And the reality is the only way we find that, discover that, and walk in that is in the contentment of God's word. And so I want to just lay out three thoughts. I may not get all three today. We'll see. But I want to talk about three thoughts to recognize when it comes to finding contentment to God's word. The first one is this, is recognize that God's word is eternal. God's word is eternal. Look at verse 16 of chapter 3. It says, all scripture is inspired by God. God is eternal. His word is eternal. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 here, verse 23. It says, you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. How about that? God's, God is eternal. His word is eternal. To find contentment in God's word, we have to first recognize that God is the one who spoke it. Secondly, recognize his word as all authority. Look at that verse again, verse 16. 1 Timothy 3.16. Or excuse me, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God, God himself, his word is all authority. From the very beginning in Genesis 1, the, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was dark and it was formless and it was a void and, the, and, and, and darkness covered everything but the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep and then the first thing next that happens is it said, then God said, let there be light. And guess what happened when God said, let there be light? There was light. And he goes on, this, uh, goes on to, through that entire chapter and describes, God said, let there be this. God said, let there be that. God said, let this happen. God said, let that happen. And so out of God's mouth, there became the formation of this earth in its place. Where there was chaos, there became order. Where, there, where God took his finger and drew a line in the sand and said, that's as far as you, your waters will go. Ocean, that's as far as you can go. From here back you will be. From here forward there will be land. There will be trees. There will be mountains. He carved out things. He spoke things and then things began to pop and things began to move. Things began to fall into place. 
They, they dis, each thing discovered its purpose. And then God said to himself, let us make man and woman in our image and in our likeness. And then he breathed his very breath into the nostrils of man. And man became a living being. All because God said. 31, over 31,000 uh, scriptures verses that God has said. All scripture is inspired by God. There is truth. It's all truth. There's no error. There's no fault in what God has said. And what God has said about you, we were reminded of that this morning in our worship segment, what God has said about you, what he has for you, as Hershey said, is hearts full of promises, but sometimes our head can be full of problems. I love that. That's a great way to say how life can be sometimes, right? Our hearts can be full of the promises of God, but man, our head can get clouded with the problems of our life. And so what we have to do is we have to find our place in, in contentment in God's word. If God said it, then it's going to happen. If God spoke it, then it's going to bring forth the, the right thing. In creation, it brought forth life. In creation, it brought forth placement. In creation, it brought forth a distinction between darkness and light, between morning and evening. In creation, it brought forth a, a distinction of the different types of species and animals and insects and flowers and trees and birds and et cetera, et cetera. And then in God's creation, there was a distinction in humanity because God said it. And what we wrestle with on this earth is finding contentment. Out of seven days in a week, how many of those days do you live in contentment? Some say zero. Some say one. And if you've had a really, really good week, you'll say seven. But then a new week starts, right? I believe that we can learn to live a consistency of contentment. And it all comes from God's word. Which leads me to this last point today. Recognize his word as useful. So we talked about recognize his word as eternal. Recognize his word as authority. Recognize his word as useful. Look at verse 16 again. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. Here it goes. It's useful. God's word is useful. To what? To teach us what is true. To make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Any of us think that we don't have any wrong in our lives, we're lying to ourselves. It says it corrects us when we are wrong. God's word does this, and it teaches us to do what is right. How do you learn to do what is right and what is wrong? How do you know what is true and what is not true? Right here. God's word, right? But you've got to first esteem it as God's word is eternal. It lasts forever. It doesn't fade away. It doesn't get scared in the midst of problems. God's word doesn't shrink back when there's a giant looking at it. God's word doesn't, doesn't, doesn't you know, crawl under a table when, it, when somebody says, boo. God's word's eternal. It's, it's all, it never ends. It's lasting. But it's all, you got to also esteem his word as all authority. If God says it, it is true. This whole thing contains our life. 
But it teaches us to do what is right. In verse 17, God uses his word, his scriptures, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. There is a good work for all of us to accomplish in this life. How do we discover it? How do we find it? How do we get ready for it? How do we walk in it? How do we become empowered in it? How do we get encouraged in it? How do we become strong in it? How do we become stable in it? How do we get secure in it? How do we not falter and fade and fizz and pop when everything else is crazy? We become content in what God has said. Right? So his word is useful. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 6. Talking about the armor of God. It says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Verse 17, put on salvation as your helmet and then this, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So twice in the, in the armor of God, it talks about God's word. First, put on the belt of truth. You wear it. Secondly, use the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So you wear the word and you use the word. You wear it and you use it. You wear the word not as an accessory. It's not an accessorizing item. But as a standard. God's word is to be a standard in our life. Not as bling. Ooh, look at my belt. Look at that buckle. Ooh, look at those studs on that thing. No. Not as bling, but as building blocks. So God's word, as we wear it, it's meant to bring forth a balance in our life. It serves a purpose. It's the belt of truth. It's the center, roughly. You put the belt on your waist, usually that's roughly the center of your body. I know we're all proportionally different in size and shape, but theoretically, generically, that is where the center of us lies. Right? So put on the belt of truth. How do we wear God's word? Look at this in James 1. This is what James says. James, not that James, but the other James in the Bible says, don't just listen to God's word. What? You got to do what it says. Shut up. No way. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves, for if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like this. It's glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, you forget what you look like. Anybody ever done that? Look in the mirror, walk away, forget. Wait, did I really comb my hair? Do I have a booger hanging on my nose? Do I re- is my shirt, t- is my fly zipped? Is, you know, walk away, forget what you look like. It says, But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and... If you do what it says, and 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 if you do what it says, you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. That's probably one of the hardest things to do sometimes is we, we don't have a problem looking at it. We just have a problem doing it sometimes. Or if you're like me, a lot of the times in situations where I think I know better, and if I just go back and check myself in the perfect law of life, I realize I wasn't right. So James is saying, look, if you want to wear God's word, if you're going to put on the belt of truth, then you not only look at it and listen to it, but you also do it. You just do it. And here's what Jesus had to say about it in Matthew chapter 7. 
He said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. You want to be wise? Listen to what Jesus says and follow it. It's like a person who builds a house on a solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat. Against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who built a house on sand. And when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And what he's getting at is, look, those who wear God's word, belt the truth around their life and in their life and wear it right, are the ones who listen to it and the ones who follow it. The ones who listen to it and the ones who do it. And that is the mark of a disciple, is that we can listen to God's word, see it, listen to it, hear it, etc., but then we also put our steps in motion and actually carry it out and do it. Even the parts, listen to me, even the parts that we don't like. Like don't let, um, don't take out revenge, let God do that for you. Right? Don't worry. Trust the Lord. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> right? He says, don't worry, but trust Him. So those of us who learned that we can wear His word, we're called to wear it because it's useful, not as accessories, but as a standard. It, it brings stability to our life, and it, and it holds us up, okay? And it balances our, our life out. We're not called to be an out-of-balance believer. We should have balance in our life. There should be, a, there should be a, a way to look at our life and gauge whether we're top-heavy or not, spiritually. Whether we're putting too much here or too much there, God's Word helps bring balance. But we've got to listen to it, read it, and learn how to do it. But then secondly is this. He says, use it. In the, in the armor of God, he says also, take with you the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take it with you. Now, I know it's sometimes physically impossible to actually carry around your Bible everywhere you go because you work and you got to use your hands. That's, that's, not, that's not what he's getting at. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In other words, get this inside here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That is what we're called to do. Take his word and get it inside that's a lifetime, folks. Some of it sticks better than others. I get that. Some of it makes more sense and has more clarity at times than others. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean we don't stop reading it. We don't stop listening to it. We don't stop looking at it. Don't stop opening up our lives and our heart to it. No, we do that as much as we possibly can. Take with you the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we learn how to use his word. Isn't it, isn't it crazy that you get directions for everything in life? You get an, you know, an instruction book when you buy something. Something even that's already put together and all you got to do is take it out of the box and it's ready to go. But it still has 12 pages of instructions with it. But we rarely... Not enough, I should say, not enough, go to the instruction book of life. 
to find out what we're supposed to do. Therefore, we're in turmoil. We don't sleep. We're restless. We worry. We bite our nails off. Whatever it might be. The list goes on and on and on and on and on, right? And God is saying, look, I have already written it out. I've already laid it out for you. Go to my source. Go to my book. Take with you the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And here's the thing. One of the rule of thumbs about the sword of the Spirit is this. is don't, don't, If you're not allowing God's Word to cut on you, don't take it and try to cut somebody else. Because I would probably, it'd probably be fair to say as Christians, we get one of the worst raps sometimes. We take this and we try to use it against everybody or a lot of people. We try to cut down people, try to cut at people. This, you this, you that, you this, you that, whatever it is. And over the time, church, Christianity has gotten a bad rap because we haven't learned to use this properly. We're good at taking our swords out and saying, look what I can do. Whoosh. Whoosh. Right? But we don't ever let this go whoosh, whoosh, or I should say enough. We don't let this go enough. We don't let it go whoosh, whoosh across our hearts enough, right? Because there's things that we do in our life, habits we have, that we know Scripture says don't, right? We know there's approaches to life and approaches to situations where the scripture says, do it this way. We sing as part of a song about it this morning. Doing it your way. You saved me. Hallelujah. You have saved me. Your way is better. If we would just give his way time to work in our life. But here's the problem. We live, this world has created such a fast-paced, do it my way, get it my way, yesterday society mindset that we don't always give God enough time to work it out, right? And so we've got to learn to use the Word of God. We not only wear it, but we learn to use it. You guys can come on up and we're going to wrap up here. And we're going to come to the communion tables. I just want to lay out one principle today just that one verse out of the thir- over 31,000 that I think were, can resonate within all of us. By the way, I, was, I had a copy of one of these in my office, but I was given another one, a paperback one. It's called the Bible Promise Book. Anybody ever seen this or seen one like it? There's probably a couple different versions. This has a thousand promises from God's Word in this little book, 173 pages. Thousand, just 1,000 out of the 30, over 31,000. But it covers all types of topics from anger to forgiveness to guidance. It even touches on laziness and loneliness, joy, patience, marriage, you name it. There's lots, A to, A to Z. I don't know, I, I carry this around with me now, um, but it's pretty cool. Um, anyway, for whoever it's, whoever it's for, I just wanted to tell you about that. If you haven't seen that, it's, it's a really neat book to have on hand. Um, but just one, one verse, 
on using God's word. It's useful is this right here. 1 Peter 5, 7. It's one we know. Casting all your cares upon whom? Who do you cast your cares upon? Who? Am I in a church or am I in... Huh? Cast all your care upon the Lord, upon God, because what? He cares for you. Here's what I came across, what I discovered about that word casting. Some of you guys will like this. But it, it, it's, it's not a um, casting all your care upon him. Though that word has a, has a deeper meaning when you cast it. It means to forcibly throw. That's the, that's the connotation and the meaning of that word casting. Casting all your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. It means to take them and to throw them as hard as you can, as forcibly as you can to God. Knowing this, that God, he loves you, he cares for you, he can catch them, and he has the wisdom on how to deal with them. But he cannot deal with any of our cares if we don't take them and cast them to him. It's not a casual throwing. It's not like you're just learning how to take the bat and the ball or, or learning how to catch the football or, or the basketball or whatever it is. It's not just the learn. It's not that. It, it's not here you go. I know that's what we do when we're teaching and learning the precept of that and the understanding of that. But here's uh, uh, Peter writes. He said, take your cares and forcibly throw them. I almost brought up a ball and it was going to just launch that thing, but I was afraid I might break something and that wouldn't be good. <laughs> but that's the thing. God says, you're not going to break me. You're not going to break me. Cast all your cares. Forcibly throw all of your cares on me because I care for you. I can catch them. I can collect them. I can assess them. I can evaluate them. And I know what to do with them. But I can't do anything with them unless you throw them to me. Right? It gives a new meaning and a greater understanding to cast our cares onto the Lord because we kind of sometimes are kind of like, here's the care I have, God. You know, I'm just thinking, thinking out loud. <laughs> just you and me. Uh, I got this thought that well, it's a worry, and, uh, you know, if you can do anything about it, I'd appreciate the help, you know. Just kind of casually thinking, maybe you could do so. I read something about your word. It says, you know, I, you give me, I can do all things through Christ. You strengthens me. Uh, yeah, if that has anything to do with me, I just let it happen. I don't know anybody who will hang out with anybody like that. I want to hang out with somebody. And God's like, look, here's the deal. You got a problem? I got a solution. You got a question? I have an answer. You're in a bind? I have a way out. You are, you are in a stronghold? I can break that stronghold. You're in error? I have truth. You're lost? Guess what? I find you. You don't have? I have. It's not about God fix my mess and I carry 
on and do life the way I want. No, it's cast my cares to you. I look to you because I recognize you are eternal, you are all authority, and you hold all things, and in you, in you there are all things. And I recognize that you are it. You are my source. You are my everything. You are my king, and you are my Lord. You are my life. You are my hope. You are my love. You are everything. I look to you, God, and I cast my cares. I'm throwing worry your way, God. I'm casting and I'm throwing doubt your way, God. I got some hopelessness in my heart because of this life and these situations that I've gone through and it's left me feeling this way and here I'm throwing it your way. Catch that, God. And God's like, I got it. I'm holding it and I know what to do with it and he's going to work things out in your life if you will just cast your cares to him. So, that's what this table reminds us of. Jesus absorbed the punishment and the pain for our sin. And he bled. And his, and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And his body was broken. And he says, every time you drink from the cup and eat this bread from the table, you do it in remembrance of me. In other words, you're reminding yourself that I can catch every sin and I can catch every problem and I can make your life whole and complete if you will just throw yourself on me. And that's why we come to the table. Because we need to remind ourselves we don't have it all but he does. So God's word is useful. But you got to learn how to use it. And don't be ashamed to wear it. Don't be ashamed to pull out your sword and use it in your daily fights, in your daily struggles, just in daily living, period. They're building blocks. God's word builds your life up. Amen. Let's stand.